0: mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices message and data rates may apply Bank of America
2: NA, a member FDIC
1: during the spookiest time of the year there are a few guidelines all
2: ghosts and goblins should follow always stay on sidewalks never go to a stranger's house and never go out alone
1: I want you to go back to work tomorrow you were recasting the lead actress anyway, audition many girls for the part. When you see the girl that was shown to you earlier today, you will say, this is the girl.
0: Welcome to day 15, just about halfway down, or at least halfway through this episode, we'll be halfway down technically of 31 for 31, a Halloween playlist podcast hosted by yours truly, Cody Mason, along with
1: Chris Boniello and Jamie Lansdowne. What are we doing today, Cody?
0: We're doing obviously a you know staple pumpkin carving <laughs> flick for the whole family, Mulholland Drive, you know, a, a, a clear cut horror movie slasher flick. Not quite. Uh, we're we're injecting some David Lynch fun into this. I think it's a clear. There have been clear arguments made about why this movie, in all of its anxiety-inducing, you know, screech to a halt and make you think about the nature of existence. Flow makes matches the vibe of a of a horror movie. There's certainly just some actual scary elements of this outside of that atmospheric anxiety. So we're putting this in as a little bit of a
2: a curve in the
0: road if you will
2: wow delivered like a true diane yeah (laughs) yeah real close and breathy um yeah why did that never become a thing exactly everyone's got their sex in the city character who's the diane betty you know rita and camilla in this
0: oh let's do that for the pod right now i think i would i you know what i'm Jamie is the guy who Betty. dies. At I'm, Winkies.
1: The, I'm the cowboy. I'm the cowboy that walks by in the uh, Jamie's
0: the certainly the cowboy. I'm the guy who dies outside Winkies. <laughs> and I'd Chris, like, to, I'd like Chris, to be the no, annoyed. Chris, you're oh. the guy who hosts No I Banda. You're, you're, you're Club Silencio MC for sure. I'll take that. Sure. I'll take yeah. that. Well, who did you want to be?
2: I was going to say I was the annoyed uh uh, muscle who came in and just has to deal with. Oh, that's another good one. <laughs> Billy, <laughs> like Ray oh, yeah. Billy Ray Cyrus punching Billy well, Ray
0: Cyrus. Well, if all of these elements sound rather disparate to you, if you haven't seen the movie, it's because they are. You know, this is a uh, yeah. Don't David- listen to
2: this if you haven't seen it. Yeah, maybe you might want not. to see or, this movie twice before listening. Yeah, to this. maybe
0: experience uh, everything David Lynch ever made and then listen. No, stick around if you want to just maybe hear some thoughts about it, and you won't really get anything spoiled that wouldn't make it a less enjoyable experience because it's a weird movie. It was supposed to be the follow-up to Twin Peaks in terms of being a pilot that was going to be a larger story that got shut down once uh I think ABC realized or maybe CBS realized how weird it was. And they said, all right, well, we'll add a half hour of some really unrelated stuff in the middle, add an ending, move some stuff around, make it a movie. And thankfully, I think that's its perfect form. But because of that, it has dreamlike experience of a lot of doors being opened and very few being closed. So you're going to be left with a lot of question marks. You're going to be left with a lot of Googling of theories and things like that. But ultimately, this is an experiential atmospheric movie that is layers of dreams and things. So I've never thought sorting through the actual exact reasons and meaning behind each scene and how they flow into each other is the most important thing for experiencing this movie similar to I'd say a racer head too, where, you know, that's pretty clear anxiety about parenthood. Let's experience these moments in their flow together. That's, that's the purpose.
2: And, and I find that each time I rewatch this movie, it's, It's almost like revisiting a trauma, but you can deal with it now and you have you have the strength of of knowing a bit more each time. and, And it kind of starts to reveal itself in moments, not as, you know, a specific truth to any of the plot lines or any of the real connections of what's going on or what may be a dream or not real or a mental breakdown or not. But it's you're comforted in kind of knowing the general direction and you let it flow over you a bit easier and you are not as disturbed about going to the diner.
1: Yeah. For me, it's like knowing the plot line is not essential to enjoying the film. Lynch is challenging you to solve it, but you don't necessarily have to have all the pieces in place. Only he really does. And he kind of cheekily, apparently, if you've seen, like, he gives like 10 clues
2: to Pay figuring out. Pay attention to
0: the blue lamp.
1: It's yeah. Like, oh, okay, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the red lampshade and things like that. I, and I don't he think- also
2: gets a lot of those things through intense meditation and following spiritual dreams and and deep dives in his own consciousness. I've read
1: Catching the
0: Big Fish and, you know, soft recommend, maybe not recommend, you know. But yeah, (laughs) I think that's the flow of this is is very much something that the first watch is the scariest for sure, uh, just because... There are moments that are like actual jarring jump scares that don't match other scenes. It, it It is put together and structured in such a way, just like the best episodes of Twin Peaks, where you don't know if you're going to go from this comedic played broad moment into something that's like completely you know some abomination you've never seen before you know so you're really off your rocker feeling like, or off your rhythm let's say about okay what's gonna happen and once the, the anxiety notches up that's a really hard first watch now it becomes more of experiencing the the fun moments the moments that you could kind of really see their beauty rather than just the tension which i think is clear in a lot of you know some of my favorite scenes like the you know Yorando scene at the end at Club Silencio, the I've told every little star audition scene that the first time they're very tense. Now I can relax and watch them as something beautiful. But yeah, definitely seeing this the first time. It it is a formal mystery. It is something that has these thrilling moments, but it goes way out the window from there, of course, as most of you know. So I think it's a real good experiential (laughs) atmospheric dread uh, movie to add to the list that I think matches a lot of our criteria so yeah you know.
2: yeah i think it's it does definitely feel like a living dream slash nightmare and it it brings on some of those feelings of the halloween season of the thing that might be bright and shiny might slowly degrade and turn evil and you know there's ways of you're going to try to pretend to be other people other things and the end of this movie is definitely the hangover after a really good halloween party <laughs> where you're you're half in costume, half out, you're not sure who's who or what's what, (laughs) and you definitely owe someone an ashtray.
0: Right, and there's some real sense of you feel that the world is out of your control and you feel that there's a puppeteering going on, and especially in the the dream sequence that takes up the first two-thirds of this movie that is an idealized version of events, um, you really get this sense that plays into our Halloween tropes of... You know, there being this other deep state of Hollywood that basically is is puppeteering lives and, and causing <laughs> chaos and causing havoc and causing mischief and, and being just this frightening presence. And I think that plays in well with especially where this fits in the playlist and especially with what's coming tomorrow, which will hint to uh, don't sleep
1: on it. For sure, we'll we'll uh, we'll hint to that later. I'd say the tone of it is different, but certainly following the Love Witch, there's sort of a thematic connection of just there is something lurking under the the glamour of it all, and there is like the dark undertone of what is transpiring. And you know, the Love Witch is obviously tackling sort of like misogyny and like women's place in the world, and this is sort of tackling just insidious Hollywood underbelly that. You feel like it's a, it's almost a cliche at this point to like do that story, but what I think is yeah. what makes this film obviously stand out is that Lynch is doing it in the most imaginative way. My interpretation that it is that the film is about a woman who didn't make it in Hollywood and is struggling and like dealing with that sort of shortcoming of her dream being crushed.
0: Yeah, still being in love with Hollywood, still being in love with success and the the people who succeed, but. Having a real, <laughs> a real happy dream that crushes into a nightmare as you realize your own failure.
1: Exactly. So Lynch is is telling this in such a just the way the story is structured and all the surrealist imagery and you know language and all of that. that just really telling a story that almost in some ways could only be told as a film, I think in the way that he does it. Yeah.
0: I think we would have really had diminishing returns if halfway through season one, we woke up, you know, yeah. but, uh, if that even would have been the direction, but I wanted to touch really <laughs> quickly again on Love Witch. Cause I think there's such a re there's such a performance review here that I want to call out, but that matches both Samantha Robinson and no- Naomi Watts doing a very stilted daytime Emmy performance, um uh, just yes. because of what was required in The Love Witch. And then in Mulholland Drive, where as our character Betty, who is Diane having a dream, spoilers, um
2: Maybe. plays
0: up, you know. Well, Probably well, well well, that's the point of view of this podcast. <laughs> so we're gonna come out here swing. But um, you know, who's who's the dreamer? But uh that you know, she lays it on thick as this naive, almost 1930s-style delivered language of just being so overcooking it in her delivery of things. And you can immediately see how much that was intentional when she wakes up and she just does a really good, gritty performance that you would normally see Naomi Watts do at her best. So I think this is one of my all-time favorite Lynch performances. It's right up there with Kyle mclaughlin doing 9 different coopers just because yeah. you get to really take a walk with this actor being dialed into so many parts of how this movie is supposed to lead you to feel and you know snaps for for Naomi.
2: Yeah, and this rewatching this now after watching Twin Peaks the Return, they are so very much in conversation with each other that it's it's almost like a now a continuation of the lynch verse that you can just is start she jumping Janie? around
0: you know you don't know yeah I, uh, <laughs> but yeah i think that's something that i respect a lot about this movie is just being able to very clearly keep a, a standard sense of dread really well precipitated from the very beginning you know right when she gets off the plane and people are laughing maniacally despite the fact that we have so many scenes that could belong in 19 different movies. You know, we've got like gritty sex scenes, jokey fight scenes, spit, take espresso scenes, yeah, haunted cowboy scenes, you know, demonic, you know, horrible haunted clubs. Yeah. You
2: know? Billy
1: Ray Cyrus. I exactly. mean, Billy
2: Ray Cyrus has said without Mulholland Drive, there is no Miley Cyrus.
0: Yeah, that's the through line. It's it's a party in the USA.
2: Yeah, he he said through that acting role, he then got connected somehow, somewhere else into his that doctor <laughs> role, whatever he played, that then led to Miley acting to then being on Disney's whatever that show was.
0: To quote, to we quote the to quote the film, film for how this was all puppeteered, Miley was the girl. You know, that's it
2: was all. Yeah, this is the girl
0: strung along. So. <laughs> I think the best way to dive into this, because it's really about, in my point of view, one thing. It's just about dreams turn nightmares and what L.A. can do, you know, while still almost being reverential to L.A., but definitely leaning more into the crushing nature of that. And, you know, it plays out like a dream and it plays out like a dream of a conspiracy that doesn't really make sense because it's a dream. And then it's a, a waking nightmare that takes a turn. And, you know, that's it would be overcooking on our end to explain the full plot. But most people I talked about this movie have a favorite moment or thing that they really like about it. And there's so many things that you could connect with because they're Lynchian in nature, whether that's full blown cosmic terror Lynchian or fun, silly times at the Twin Peaks Sheriff's office Lynchian. But I think mine that I, it would be my most rewatchable moment is I think the the way that the Camilla Rhodes audition scene plays out when Justin Thoreau plays a director who's been basically his life has been ruined. If he doesn't cast one girl, this is the girl is set often because this, you know, kind of shadowy organization is, is pulling all the strings and enforcing this. And when she comes in to audition just before he locks eyes with Naomi Watts in this really poignant moments. And then when Camilla Rhodes sings, I've, I've told every little star and he calls in people over to say, this is the person that we're going to hire. This is the girl. And how sinister that scene ends up being with that music and how that, how it's shot. I just think that is like, if you were going to distill that entire movie into a drop, that really gets it for me. Once you realize like they're happy with him, he made a good choice and they kind of slither away. Um, that is atmosphere distilled down to its elemental basics of of how to make something woof via via affecting even though nothing really happens in that scene of any import that would make you think like this is eerie just very simple way of making one of the most eerie scenes i've ever seen so that's my check plus for that middle scene of the movie
2: yeah and I think I think big hands have to go to uh, Mary Sweeney who edited this film also this all of those scenes that all of the greatest scenes that I find in this film are just masterclasses of editing and looks and when to edit and when to hold a weird bit of a camera move before you cut to the next one and why all of a sudden you now feel oddly thrown off or not in the right place it's just kind of an endless uneasiness throughout the cutting that works yeah. so well in these scenes
1: They're just exploring, and experimenting with ways of like shifting through these realities and these like time frames that I always, always blown away by.
2: I mean, a lot of them that's part of the confusion. It's like this is a little off, and then all of a sudden you get to these immaculately edited conversation scenes that are done so well with looks, and then you go back to these handheld looping shots that cut in and out, and you're kind of shifting, get seasick
0: points of view and yep. omniscience and all this kind of stuff. That's like, that's where the unreliability of the editing takes you for a ride too. I think one moment that I caught, like that I really affected me this time is when Naomi Watts does like a shot reverse shot with someone who disappears and becomes herself. Yeah. That's part outside of, <laughs> of the dream. Like I love that. Um, God, her teeth in this movie when she wakes up. Just so horrifying. Yeah. Um, but what are, what are, you know, we got Winkies, we got Club Silencio, we got some other heavy hitters. What are some of your favorite moments of this that really strike that chord?
1: The Winky scene is kind of like the YouTube scene that I feel like comes up. like Sure. So I always loved it. And it's obviously, you know, it's along with like Exorcist 3. It's like the biggest like jump scare of all time. And it's obviously horrifying. And it's placement within the film 15 minutes in, complete non sequitur that does not ever get fully explained and right right as your first
2: few hits off a joint are really setting in and all of a sudden now you're there yeah wait whoa jamie did invite
0: the man behind the (laughs) diner to this zoom as a joke and this whole time i've just been jittery like any minute now he's
2: coming coming. coming." and is he is he a different man than twin peaks the return or the prisoner in uh lost highway i don't know
0: I'd say yes, but I think they're all that. That's his brand of like demon is just yeah, man from coal mine, <laughs> and yeah. I, I I like that. That's his you
1: know. Sam from uh, Trick or Treat. You know, his avatar Sam. of and weirdness is the you know the yeah. bum yeah. or those type of characters. I
2: I need an origin Donald story Knight. for him. That's going to be a good one when they <laughs> yeah. when they finally get there.
1: Trash guy origins. <laughs> but favorite scene. I mean you. You talked about the the audition or like, you know, the, the singing audition, which is like a Lynchian staple of like having this almost like bubble gum, like 1950s nostalgia and then like literally pulling back from it and seeing like the, the crew around it. And that's obviously a magnificent shot. And then the Winkies is just this horrifying nightmare of an experience. But I also like. And this is what I like. I think Lynch is like the master where he can just we're living in this surreal world, but then he can inject a scene, the one with Naomi Watts and that actor who and that weird cat like right before the scene you were just talking about. The other audition. Where it's just the the un the smarmy. Yeah. 58 year old. it's, It's almost like her, you know, if we're saying this is a dream, it's like her subconscious, like throwing in like the actual reality of like these auditions, which are really kind of. Yeah. Like voyeuristic and people are just there watching and she kind of is going that extra mile that it's just kind of this whole ugh, exploitative
2: feeling. I mean she should have got an Oscar for
1: it. I mean too. yeah, and it's just incredible cuz she it's like she's playing so many different Even roles. Betty should have gotten an yeah, Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> So that one always stuck out I, on this rewatch. I guess it just stuck out to me because I think everything else in my previous watches was, you know, so focused on maybe trying to figure out the plot and like the surrealist moments. But yeah.
0: and all you have to really figure out from that scene is she did well and her mm-hmm. dream is projecting what what if you did well in audition? Everybody was jazzed. Yeah. But it's just sitting with that scene is, is fun and it, to do. It
2: works so well because coming into that scene, you've previously just watched her rehearse it with Rita in a totally different style that's like not very well. She's like just playing it up to eleven, fake crying, kind of laughing at it. And then this is the complete opposite and uncomfortable.
0: <laughs> yeah. And that's the first time you start to look at that character. It's like, wait, what is this? She's just she was just like a ho ho, I'm a happy person and I'm going to Los Angeles for like yeah. 35 minutes and then it's like i have this dark side you're like oh god okay well i gotta watch this one um before you realize she's streaming. <laughs> Chris, how about you? You're you're a Cowboys fan, if you will, or, you know.
2: So it's interesting. I have some favorite scenes from earlier watches, and then going into it, a scene that I had completely forgotten about had me just laughing so hard in the botch hit scene. Yes. It's like (laughs) everything going wrong. I completely forgot about that scene, and it's just like... It definitely feels like a,
0: a start of a tendril of... Something that would have been in a show. Yeah. But then yeah. I think they miraculously save it later when, yeah.
2: when he gives uh, her the When key. Diane
0: actually comes back and, like, get, you know. It's like a Coen Brothers movie. Every,
1: it's yeah. like Fargo or yeah, something. Yeah, it is.
2: It's- I had totally forgotten about it. Something and then, bit me. And then bad. it kind of it comes back so well that he's the character at the end. Right, right, right. That right. then you start questioning oh, maybe the suicide isn't real. Maybe the character at the time who's supposed to, maybe camilla when she's supposed to be killed he botches that it starts just opening up all of this box of questions about oh i mean you hired like kind of the shittiest guy <laughs> to get this <laughs> yeah. job done and then i mean i love the club silencio scene it's just like for me it's one of the craziest most perfect encapsulations of filmmaking it's showing you figuratively behind the curtain semi-literally messing with you telling you how you know the meal is going to be made and then still pulling the rug out from under you it's just a great magic trick and as someone who, who just loves magic tricks and knows how they kind of work it still works I mean I'm an editor I know all of the tricks they're doing and it's just it's just done so well and it, it's just such a fun scene to follow along with the emotions and it's one you can either stare at and kind of rip apart and get into the pieces of it or you can just kind of let it flow into you and start crying with them and then be like oh man
0: i would argue best lip sync of all time (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah rebecca del rio supporting actress for lip-syncing Yorando,
1: the roy orbson cover
0: so affecting
1: number seven on david lynch's list of how to figure it out what is felt realized and gathered at the club silencio first time i watched it i don't fucking know Second time, maybe a little bit more. Third time, it keeps going. But yeah, that scene definitely is like the crux. And obviously, like the the plot turns very quickly after that scene.
0: Yeah, that's the waking up from the dream and, you know, grasping on like, I wish I could hold on to this dream scene. And it's it's captured so perfectly.
2: And I didn't even realize in that scene that Cheryl Lee is in it. This is the first time I'd ever seen her in that scene. She's in the audience sitting there. I'd never known that. Never. I guess I should have looked that up or something. But seeing it this time, I was like, "What? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Did God. She, is
0: this the first time she's ever been there? And I'm just seeing a curse. Yeah. I don't think I've ever noticed that, honestly.
2: Yeah. And I was like, great. Now I should I stop the movie and spend like three hours online or. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I only noticed that because I w- was looking at her filmography a couple of years back and like saw that that was listed. And I was like, wait, w- what? did I miss an important deleted scene you know, Like what's yeah. going on? Is Laura this Palmer? was more
2: that I just know that scene. So well. I started kind of, I went a little more analytical and was like, Oh, maybe I'll look around. I'll see if there's any other hints on the sidelines. And then I'm like, Oh, Laura Palmer. Cool. <laughs> She's always there. Great. Great. Now I start back. Well, on. I have a confession yeah. <laughs> to make
1: and it depends on whether I even want to have this public knowledge. I've never seen Twin Peaks. You're not a Twin Peaks. Sir. I'm not. So, a, I am okay. not. So I just, I, I know you guys are like insane Twin Peaks people. Chris, your avatar, your Gmail avatar has been Dale Cooper for like a, half <laughs> a decade. Long. And I know. People think Cody, that's what I look like I know now you, and I'm
2: fine yeah. with
1: that. <laughs> I'm a fan. I'm I, a I fan. just never got around to it. I
0: just, I'm just, i sorry. Well, I, I tell, I told people yesterday who I was talking to and they said, oh, we're looking for a new show. We, we got halfway through Twin Peaks, the first season. And I was like, well... And they're like, oh, I know there's some more stuff on Showtime, so maybe we'll catch up. And I was like, well, let me tell you how I how I would go about doing that. I would watch the first two seasons, maybe watch Firewalk with me then, then watch every film David Lynch has ever made, then do all of that again, and then maybe watch The Return because it's such a meal to, to digest.
1: And I, I, I feel like I've been missing out on so much. And I hate that. I, it's not like I intentionally avoided it. It's just... I just haven't had the time to sit down and like... It's
0: an emotional investment. Yeah. I took I took like two years to watch all of The Takes Return a long time. Because I was like, I want to watch this like two episodes at a time and think about it for a significant length of time before I'm ready to just be done with this.
2: It's also really one of those that you kind of have to want to get into it and you it's going to take a few years, let it go, <laughs> like... At, Emily and I watched Twin Peaks together m- recently again she had never seen it we watched the first season second season and then she was like I don't know if I like need more of this and I was like yeah this is like the kind of the point like this you're, is
0: this is the inflection we could go up we could just stop living it
2: and at that point I hadn't seen the return and then I watched the return and absolutely loved it but it was also like I totally understand that people will not want to watch this at all. It is
0: a perfect show to watch completely alone. Like yeah. <laughs> I, I would never want to watch that with someone else. I, I did watch the first episode with my wife who had not seen all of Twin Peaks yet. And that's a very horrible and violent episode uncharacteristically. And it was like, oh, great. <laughs> yeah, know, And it's and it's almost feels
2: more connected to Lost Highway or something else versus you can't. You watch episode one and of season one, and then episode one of the return. You're like, what the fuck happens yeah, in between? <laughs> Tonight. Oh man, I love I, I love
1: Lost Highway, and i you know I, I'm like sort of familiar with the canon and the backstory and kind of the, the obviously the Lynchian style, which kind of you know not to dwell too much on the genesis of Mulholland Drive the film, but it seems weird that they were were like, oh, this is too weird for a show. It's like, didn't they? Like, there's already a show that existed, right? That Twin Peaks.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Lynch has some lines about that. Like,
1: why weren't they, like, what were they expecting, I'm guessing?
2: I I watched an interview with him where he talked about how the ABC, I think it was ABC, executive was, like, put it on at, like, six in the morning, was (laughs) drinking coffee on a bunch of phone calls, had it on a small TV on the other side of the room, was half-assed watching it, and, like, one of his main comments was, like, I don't want to see dog shit on the TV on this show. <laughs> like good, good feedback. Close-up. Good and feedback. Was, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and then two years really later, disturbing. we got two years later, we got this full nightmare vision from that executive.
0: Well, you know what? We got uh, the dog shit. You know, every dollar's on screen. I'm, I'm more shit, amazed you know? that he got more money. But, yeah, I think this is this it. is a dodged bullet. This is a really this is a really dodged bullet of of something that could have been a, a failed endeavor because that wasn't necessarily. You know, going into Rabbits and Inland Empire, like certain things start to he starts to lean into things that people criticize him for being a little self-congratulatory and, you know, some of his less acclaimed work during that time. And maybe if we had given him like two seasons of Mulholland Drive, we wouldn't have the respect that we have for this really contained vision. So we didn't ever need Heather Graham to show up and talk to, you know. (laughs) all of these new folks in the end of season two, like you'll see Jamie, but, um, yeah, I (laughs) think this is, uh, this is great. And, you know, I, I, I wanted to give a shout out to a professor I had at a summer NYU class who showed this in a horror cinema class. And I had not really seen it outside of clips before then. And, you know, I'd seen a lot of other lynchy work, but, really sat with it there under that context for the first time. And that's really illuminated how I thought about it. And he also has really cool work about saying that this movie and the anxiety and the lack of trust in how everything operates and the world around you can fall apart. That sense of anxiety is related really well to its release time in 2001 with 9-11, which I think is... Something that sounds like it would be a bad, like Jezebel article, but really turns out to be a pretty uh, appropriate take about matching, you know, the encapsulation of a feeling in a really unexpected way. So, shouts out to those takes because they're not my own, but they're definitely interesting ones to dive into um, and definitely match up with what we're trying to say about how this constructs itself to be the same kind of dread you would feel in. A proper horror movie, so to speak.
1: Yeah. I mean, the sequences in this film, some of the sequences are some of the most unnerving sort of imagery and feelings that have ever I think I've ever witnessed. Like It just so knows how to get under your skin and just put you in a mindset where anything can happen and anything could be troubling to you. And, you know, we talk about it like how this film could have been a complete disaster. I think like any good film in some ways is a miracle considering all the parts and pieces that have to come together, but to make this film to go from like a TV pilot to, Oh shit, we're making a movie now. Like it just all fell into place so perfectly into this two and a half hour insane horror movie thriller, psychological mind fuck that, to this day, it's still leading impressions on cinema, so.
0: You left out that it's also just a, a rom-com at the end yeah. of the day, with starring Billy Ray Cyrus. So, yeah, I, I think this is... Um, Something that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, but and I wouldn't ever want anybody to just watch that winky scene and just be like, that's a creepy scene. Like it really exists in this holistic vision of a dream and out of a dream and everything like that. But So I I do hesitate sometimes to be like, oh, what's your favorite scene? You know, what really gets it going? But I think I say that because it's just how does that scene continue this impossible task of having such a level of unease For your audience for two and a half hours while doing something that's a bare bones plot or, you know, at least at the beginning visuals you're used to and things like that without there being a monster attacking, you know, like (laughs) just to describe this movie for what it shows. It's so hard to then explain why certain people shouldn't watch it because just warning it's going to be really unsettling because like I can watch an actress struggle for a little bit and maybe... Have a mystery with a with an organization that might have a gun somewhere, you know, like yeah. bare bones. The The text of this reads very understandable, but every scene, despite being run of the mill, is done with this certain notch of irregularity and mastercraft otherness that makes it just feel (laughs) it's right under your skin like jamie said i think that's just such an impossible task to do it's something that you know david lynch making a horror movie he wouldn't cut he will he'll slash people up in a non-horror movie but he wouldn't do it in this he'd just have people spit out espresso drinks
2: yeah and i think that going along with that there's more scenes of in this film of like just general point of view in sunshine that are scarier than anything else i've ever seen just walking down a tight hallway and sun Sunshine's there and i'm like great something awful is gonna happen to me right now
0: (laughs) yeah just full coverage
2: at a dumpster (laughs) or yeah when they go to those very strange i didn't realize like how weird the apartments are where diane lives uh, until yeah. like this fourth time seeing the movie where i'm like where are we we're in this like fair like fantasy fairy tale like little houses <laughs> hidden in the back of some series plate. of lodges like, somewhere yeah what, like, like we're in like we're in the shire now <laughs> yeah. and what like and then there's a dead body all right
0: vote now on your phones on this podcast so to speak oh i will it,
2: say oh no go ahead
0: <laughs> i was just going to see if you think she's dead or not at the end but i don't know i would i would argue yes but you know what? Well, maybe we can come to a consensus. I I don't
2: think there is an end. It's <laughs> just it's, it's just si- silence. People say the I
0: think
1: it's a school. Mobius loop. It just keeps it just yeah. goes back. It's just silence.
0: Yeah. yeah. It. I I would all Jamie. You may be joking, but I think that's a take that I I have half agreed with in the
1: past, Too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could say anything, and it could be like you know sure, part yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, I do.
2: Well, Someone could defend it. Who yeah. was it? Roger Roger Ebert has like a really good line about it in one of his reviews uh what did or in his review i'm trying to remember what he said it kind of encapsulates it all oh here he just goes there is no explanation there might not even be a mystery
1: (laughs) i just i mean that (laughs) it makes me laugh (laughs) but i just i i don't agree i do think there is an explanation there is like you know maybe some of the more there is probably some symbolism that is very abstract in a sense, but I do think that the core, at the yeah, core, if you're it's, researching it. Yeah, there, there is a narrative. And I think that's also part of the reason I think the film works as well as it does, is that, you know, it's one thing to just be fucking weird. And I, as we said, like Lynch was being accused of, all right, he's just, he's going full Lynch right now and he's going off the rails and he's just making weird shit. But, you know, this film, he's using that. He's sort of weaponizing his weirdness in a way to tell, a very, you know, powerful story in only the way that he could.
0: Yeah, yeah, and they always play Ernest. Like that's the thing too, is like there's stuff that you would feel like there's an ironic distance about here because of how it's presented. But the story itself is like very touching. And that's why like the Club Lencio scene when those two characters, even as dream fragments, are dealing with the realizations they're coming to even when those realizations aren't always entirely clear, like it just reads so pure. And, you know, that's something that I think David Lynch doesn't get enough credit for often. It's just like the purity of his characters and the empathy that they can can generate. And why people like Dale Cooper so much, for example, is just because he is this, as he would say in most of his things, like he's got a heart of gold, you know? So, and how that really compels you to still care for people, characters who exist in like narrative chaos <laughs> you know? yeah. so it makes that's, us that's the tough. detectives
2: <laughs> of of something we can't solve and uh, and and speaking of detectives i am always surprised every time i see the opening credits and right away i see robert forrester yeah robert name. forrester's in there <laughs> top billing and he shows up and i'm like oh i forgot robert forrester's in this and then he's not anymore <laughs> yeah, he's like, I better figure this out. Hope he does. You that's know? like they forgot. They're like, oh, wait, this is a
1: movie now. We don't. Oh, shit. Like he was supposed to be like a recurring character in of the, of the right, show. Right. And they're like, oh, fuck. Uh, you know what? We paid the man. He's a great actor. Let's leave yeah, him in.
0: It'll just lead to this other layer of like, hmm, this is suspicious. And then, you know, that that's all we need him to do. So it works out. So I, I think this is. A movie, you know, best watched, maybe even by yourself, but maybe sharing it with a group has been fun to show like, hey, dive into this and and maybe enjoy this is something that'll freak you out the first time.
2: I feel like the first time you watch it, don't don't watch it with like a bunch of people who've already seen it. no, no, no. Either watch it with like one guy or with a couple other people who haven't seen it and maybe one person who has so at the end like the three of you who haven't can ask the one person questions and that one person can just keep saying like i don't know (laughs) yeah
0: trust me nothing comes more clear i know less than you do now because i've watched it too many times the
2: more you watch it or at least the more i've watched it every time i watch it again i'm tricked into believing that i'm starting to figure it out and then i get like locked in And then all of a sudden, I realize there's still like 55 minutes to go, and something changes, and I'm like, "Oh, that was wrong." Yeah, I gotta watch again.
0: (laughs) I watch it and I say, "Oh God, this scene came up again." Like, ah, this time I wish that scene didn't happen so that I could have my close close loop narrative figured, you know. So I agree, but you know, still. And there's there's scenes that are
2: terrifying now that weren't like the the diner scene is less so terrifying to me as now like the audition scene. When even just like Justin Thoreau looking back, I was like, oh, I'm so uncomfortable now. Yeah, I,
0: I don't want to be here anymore. So prepare yourself, you know, for just unease. And uh, yeah, maybe uh, have yourself a nice cocktail to simmer and relax. And uh, I think that this one plays really nicely in Tomorrow's Pick. Very different movie, but very similar mindset of what are you what are you going to do when you're confronted with a waking dream we're so. uh,
1: we're taking the exit off Mahalan Drive but we're staying on the highway of your subconscious <laughs>
0: <laughs> Jamie was like I'll figure it out by the end of the sentence I'll figure it out by the end of the sentence uh, the lost highway of your Her mind my <laughs> period We'll see you on one 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 Lost Highway of Your Mind Avenue tomorrow <laughs> for our episode 16. Thank you for making it halfway through with us. And we're looking forward to another half of the month for Halloween. So if you don't have your costume ready, this is your reminder. You'll yep. only be getting one. Lady so, with a blue wig who says Silencio. That's my wreck. Just a wreck. Just a wreck. Just a wreck. Well, thanks for, uh, for listening. And we'll be tuning in tomorrow with a good one. So we'll be talking to you then.
1: Hi guys. Peace. Bye. Sweet dreams.